Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Today we start a new series, a new series that uh, kind of will run throughout our year at different times, um, a series entitled Characters of Faith. Uh, again, remember that our theme of the year is walking by faith, so as we think of that, um, we have this chapter in and looking at them and how they uh, can have an impact on our faith and our walk with the Lord. So today we'll, we'll start and begin there. Um, and then after Easter, Easter Resurrection Sunday, uh, the next Sunday after that, we'll start a series walking through the book of Romans. So we'll walk through and study the book of Romans. Uh, I haven't taught or preached through that since I was a youth pastor. So it's been a long time um, since we've done that, and so I'm excited to be able to walk through that. Last year, we walked through the book of Daniel, an Old Testament book, and so this year we're scheduled for a New Testament, and we'll walk through the book of Romans. Um, I have it scheduled for a chapter each week. I don't think that's feasible, and so I have some adjustment to do, uh, but uh, but we'll we'll get through it. Uh, It won't be like the book of Acts. And my poor son, who was in agony the whole time, you know, that the book of Acts took us so long. And he just couldn't wait, as some of you might have been feeling the same way. Like, the book of Acts is long. It's hard. And uh, so we don't want to drag it on, but we want to get in the word and we want to dig in and we want want it to richly um, encourage us, challenge us, convict us. And so we'll start that after, after Resurrection Sunday. But today, we start this new series characters of faith and uh, uh, before we jump into this first character I want to take you to the book of Hebrews and let's talk a little bit about faith just as an introduction and then we'll look at this first character Hebrews chapter 11 and we see verses 1 through 3 Um, the writer of Hebrews helps define for us what faith is he says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen For by the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so we see here, here's an explanation of what faith is. And that definition of defining it, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, that's not the same kind of hope that we would define today that we throw out casually, all right? Hoping that the Browns go to the Super Bowl one day, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, that's like a dream, you know, like, hey, man, we're really hoping the next year's the year. Well, we have a lot of doubt in that hope. And, and the hope, the term used here uh, for hope is, is, is assured, like you are confident, all right? It, it is beyond just, hey, I, I'm kind of wishing that this would be true. No, the faith is the assurance of things hoped for, saying almost doubly as you are assured of what you are sure of, And ultimately, the conviction of things not seen. So while you may not see it, you have this conviction and you are sure 
that this is truth because why? There's evidence of it. All right? And so that's what faith is. For by it, the people of old received their uh, commendation. They were blessed. They were blessed by God. They were approved by God because of their faith in him. And then it gives us this first illustration. It's almost like the writer of Hebrews said, hey, this is what faith is, right? Verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Meaning he's going to go to the very beginning in Genesis 1, and when God spoke, he spoke things into existence. It wasn't that they were already there, and then he just rearranged and, 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 and put them into place. No, the writer of Hebrews is supporting what we read in Genesis, and that when God spoke, it was created. It was formed out of nothing. Our God spoke, and out of his very words came these things. That takes faith to see the, these things that we see all around us. And they were created by a God who spoke them into existence. And then now he's going to go and he's going to walk us through different characters of faith. Some people call this chapter the, the, the hall of faith. All right. The hall of fame of those who were faithful to God. We're not going to look at every one of them. Uh, if so, it would take us the whole year. All right, but we're going to pick out some of them, and we're going to start today with Abel. Abel. How much do you know about Abel? Well, you just probably know that he was the brother of Cain, right? And so uh, we want to go back. I want to encourage you. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Before we read verse 4 here, let's go back to the book of Genesis, and let's read about Abel in Genesis chapter 4. In verses 1 through 15. So if you're willing and able, would you stand with me as I read? Able, if you are willing and able. Yeah, that's good. I didn't even catch that one. All of a sudden you guys started laughing and I'm like, I know I say some crazy things sometimes. but So we're here in Genesis chapter 4. It's on the screen, but if you have your Bible in front of you, that would be awesome. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Let me just pause there. The word gotten there sounds like the word for Cain. Okay? There's a play on words here as Eve is saying, Hey, I've gotten, I have Cain, a man with the help of the Lord. Verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, 
I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and I a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So we see this um, interaction. We know that Adam, again, going back, Adam and Eve sinned against God. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told them not to eat of. They had listened to the lies of Satan, of the serpent, who deceived them. And thus their punishment is they were exiled. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But here we see in the first part, they're doing what God called them to do. Because God said to be fruitful and multiply. And so that's what they're doing. I love the, the Hebrew word here. Uh, Adam knew Eve. And so you can play on that with your kids if you want to, to make them squirm a little bit, make them feel uncomfortable. Um, but here they have Cain. He's the firstborn. And ultimately, if you look at the wording here, it is interesting uh, of what Eve and how she views this. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. There's some translations that adjust this a little bit. Ultimately, I wonder if Eve thought that Cain, this firstborn of hers, was going to be the Messiah. The one who God had promised was going to, what? Strike the serpent. And so here she is. I have gotten the Lord's Messiah. The Lord, the Lord has helped me. And so, uh, interesting as you look at that. And so here's Cain, kind of the, if you could say, the chosen one in some ways. But then he has this little brother, Abel, who comes along, right? And, and the text tells us here that uh, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. And again, through the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel brought the firstborn uh, of his flock and also the fat portions. So when we look at this text and as they offer these offerings, we first have to ask and say, well, who told them that they needed an offering? We don't read that in the text. Well, everything that we, we, we don't have every recorded word of God that he had dialogue with every single person on the face of the earth. All right. John even tells us that if we had it, it would be too numerous. Like the works of Jesus themselves were so great that, that, that it was too much to write down. So here we have evidently, and we read later God's interaction with his nation of Israel, this, this whole idea of sacrifice. We saw, we saw it already in the book of Genesis where God has to sacrifice the sheep, all right, the lambs in order to cover Adam and Eve. 
All right? Because why? They were naked and they knew it. They were ashamed. Their sin became real to them. All right? When they sinned against God, it had a consequence. The sacrifice, the sheep was slaughtered and slain so that they would be covered. And so we see evidently there is this ongoing sacrifice and offerings that has been going on that Adam and Eve uh, continue because here their sons come and they offer. They're offering from what they do, right? Uh, Cain is a worker of the ground. He, he's in charge of the crops. And you can imagine he puts together this big bounty of grain and, 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 and splendor. And he, he makes this majestic offering before God. And here comes Abel and he brings what he's in charge of, of the sheep. And it says that he brings the, the sheep and the fat portions and he offers that as a sacrifice to God. Well, how do we know that what Cain offered was bad? Or wasn't accepted. Well, because the text tells us that, right? It says that uh, that in in verse four, the end of it, that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, verse five. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Well, why? Why did God accept Abel's, but He didn't accept Cain's? Was it because one was an animal sacrifice with its fat portions and another one was grain? Well, let's jump over to the book of Hebrews now. All right. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse one, verse four, gives us a little bit more insight. Now we can still speculate, we can still debate, but let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse four. It says, by faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So by faith, Abel offers to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Why was it more acceptable? Was it because of what it was? We could have that discussion. You could make an argument, probably a strong argument, for how God deals and, and shares in the law about the animal sacrifice and the purpose of blood. And we've looked at that even this morning, the, the, the importance of blood in the forgiveness of sin. But I think there's more to it than just whether it was grain or an animal. Look at it. Verse... Hebrews 11 what does it say and by what by faith sorry I put the and on there by faith see it wasn't that it was the substance the writer of Hebrews isn't talking about the substance here so don't get hung up on that what the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about as he examines these different characters of faith and how they lived their life, it was all about something deeper than what they just did. What they were doing, what they were showing, what they were giving was an expression of something deeper within their faith. And remember what faith is. 
Faith is the assurance, right, of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And so here Cain offers this grain offering, but we can read into the context and it tells us his heart is not in it. Evidently, Cain didn't have faith. Because if God had told him it should have been an animal sacrifice, he didn't obey God by faith. If it had nothing to do with being a grain or an animal sacrifice, we know it's rejected and not accepted by God because it's his lack of faith. Ultimately, Cain wants to do his own thing. Cain is showy. And ultimately, he wants to do his own thing. He defies God even in who he is. Because he gets mad and he gets angry. How could God accept my little brother's gift? Maybe even thinking, I'm the chosen one. Mom even said it. How could God not accept me? And what I offered. I worked hard. Doesn't God see me out there sweating? Little brother, all he does is chase these sheep. Jumps on them and plays with them and has fun. I'm out here slaving and working hard in the garden. You can start to see, right? Think of the arguments. My brothers and I had quite a few arguments out in our large garden. Thankfully, none of us ever smote one another. With manure, we did, yes, but not with a club. Ultimately, Cain defies God himself. And Abel, we see, here is a man who walks obediently, humbly believing, and he has a spiritual reverence about who God is, trusting by faith. How do we know that? Because of what the writer of Hebrews helps us see, that he is accepted by God because of his faith. I found it interesting if you jump back, back to Genesis and when you're reading here in Genesis of Abel's blood. So God approaches Cain. We see his defiance. Ultimately, he's like, man, am I my brother's keeper? Come on, you're God. You should know where he is. Essentially is what he's saying. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be keeper of my brother. God warned him that sin was crouching at his door, and yet Cain defied God. And he killed his brother. And he says in verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Back in Hebrews, we see that what through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. His faith speaks, but is that speaking about his blood? What's interesting is you start to think about this. Abel is the first one who walks into eternity with God, right? He's the first one who, by faith is accepted by God and when he dies physically, right, is, is caught up with God. And so he's the first one who enters in, into this presence of God, whether it's a paradise 
that some scholars would say that Old Testament believers stayed in until Jesus came and brought them to the Father. But here was Abel, the first who entered into that because ultimately of his faith. And it says that his blood cried out to God. Do you ask yourself this question? What's his blood say to God? As it was crying out to God, what was it saying to him? I wonder if it said, here is your faithful creature that God had created and he was faithful and now he has been slain. Death. The promise that God had given to Adam and to Eve that if they were to eat of this and to sin against his command and what he desired for them, that ultimately death was their punishment. It also leads me then to look at Christ's blood. And what does this say? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling or the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so here, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word, not that Abel's blood speaks something bad or wrong. But ultimately, the blood of Jesus speaks something even better to us. Because what does it offer? It offers to us redemption. Ransom. To be purchased. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And through that, he was commended as righteous. His action showed his faith. When you think of your life, do your actions show your faith? God commended him by accepting his gifts he rejected Cain's because Cain's heart was not in line with God's heart. And yet through Abel's faith, even though he died, he still speaks today. What does he speak? He speaks, I believe, that it takes faith to please God and to walk with him. Faith. You can come up and devise any manner that you want and any excuse. You can come up with any means of trying to do things in a good way. But if they are contrary to God's word, they are unacceptable. We're good at coming up with our own plans, right? So here's three questions that I want to ask you about your offerings and your faith. The first is this. What are you trying to offer to God? What are you trying to offer to God? If we go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Again, I encourage you to jump over there really quick. Matthew chapter 9.
verses 10 through 13. Jesus was reclining at the table um, in the house. With who? With many tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> and so here are people that are rejected by the religious people of that time. And Jesus is sitting down and partying with them. Or at least, at the very least, he's having a meal with them. Okay? So it says, Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclined with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus that is, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Interesting, Jesus points them back to the law, the law that they were supposed to know and supposed to be living their life by. And he challenges them and he says, hey, go study this and try to figure out what it tells you. And it's this phrase to that where God says in Hosea chapter six, verse six, where Hosea says it this way, for I desire steadfast love. In the Septuagint, it reads mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. So that word, I desire mercy or steadfast love is a term that you've probably heard before. It's a term called hesed. Hesed. And ultimately, hesed means loyalty or faithfulness in a relationship. God says, I want you to go and study what this means, those of you who don't want me to sit and to eat with these tax collectors and with who these people that you think are dirty and criminal. I've come because I'm a healer and I've come to heal them. I want you to study this that I desire not a sacrifice, but I desire hesed. I desire your loyalty. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your loyalty. I want your faithfulness. Always at the heart of hesed is God's generous sense of compassion, of his grace, and his mercy. We can exhibit Hesed, only because God has showed it to us. It's what John says in 1 John. We love because he first loved us. I can exhibit hesed, which is greater than any sacrifice that I can offer. God desires hesed because it's a faithfulness to him. It's a loyalty to him. And ultimately, it looks as we live out our lives as an offering. What are we offering we can look at it and say, oh, I'm going to sacrifice for this or I'll sacrifice for this. God doesn't want your sacrifice. All, ultimately, what he wants is your heart. He wants your loyalty, your faithfulness to him. So that when you're going about doing things, that it's not necessarily a sacrifice to you, but that you care about the people that he's calling you to serve. 
that you care about them so much that you're not viewing them as these people who need fixed. And we can do that sometimes as Christians. We can put a label and we can say, oh, that person needs me or needs help. So let's go help them and go fix them. Jesus was never worried about fixing the outward. He was always more intentional and more purposeful about their inner, their heart, their faith. So as we walk and we get to offer, anything that we offer to God should be centered around this term hesed. Because God ultimately desires my faithfulness, my commitment to him, my loyalty to him. Not what I want, not what I desire, not what I see as I can fix. So what are you trying to offer to God? Are you offering to him hesed? Faithfulness in serving and ultimately seeking to please God? What are you trying to offer to God? Second question is this, how is your faith involved in your offering? How is your faith involved in your offering? Ultimately, we see in Hebrews 11 verse 4 that Abel's gifts were accepted through faith. And he speaks still to us. He's speaking to us that his gifts were accepted because of his faith. So whenever we bring something, an offering to God, we offer ourselves or offer any part of it. We need to make sure that, that we think and as we examine it, how is my faith being challenged and being involved in this act or in this doing, or in this thinking, or in this planning. See, in chapter 12, verse 24 of Hebrews, we talked about how the blood of Christ uh, redeems us. And ultimately, as we look at the blood of Christ, and it cries out with a better word, meaning that we've been given salvation through faith, that ultimately that gives us strength. And we need to always go back to as we live our lives, it's called, we're called to live by faith. It always involves our heart. Anything that you do, if your heart isn't involved in it, pause. Pause and ask God to help you. Lord, is this really what you desire? Is this what you want? Is there something different? Is there something greater? Or maybe this is what you desire, Lord, but my faith isn't involved. And Lord, would you help my heart to be involved in this? I love that story of the man who has his son who's dying. And Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus says to his disciples, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it moves into the ocean. I've never seen a mountain move into the ocean. Do I believe the word of God to be true? Do you? Thank you. It is true. And so you think about faith, and while just a tiny little bit can do such great and marvelous things because it's not us doing it, it's us trusting in the one who can do it. That faith 
to be able to look upon and to trust and to depend and say, Lord, I see evidence around me. I can't really see what you're planning and what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. Because all around me shows me that I can have confidence that you are who you say you are and that you do what you say you do. The third question, what is God asking you to offer to him? Now, let me be careful here. Listen closely. God could care less about what you're going to do. You can do a lot of things that are great for the kingdom of God. And as I read in scripture, God can still use it for his glory because he can do anything except for sin and lie. God can take our doing, but he doesn't need our doing. So offering to do something while it is great, as we've already just talked about, what needs to precede that and what has to come before that is your heart, your faith. It takes faith to believe in a God that you've never seen. It takes faith to believe that this is his word and it is truth and it defines what is true, what is right and what is wrong. It takes faith to live this truth out each day. Faith is incorporated in how we get up every single day and how we go to bed every day. Faith is critical before we ever bring something to him. So as we will look at, and I'm going to mention a few things here, because I think as James helps us to see, faith without works is, thank you, you guys are so responsive today. Faith without works is dead. So your faith is dead. If you say, oh, I have this great faith, but you never show it, you're like a dead man, a dead woman walking. You don't really have faith. And yet we can't just be going about doing things, never doing things to earn our salvation because salvation isn't earned by what we do. It's by the precious gift of God that we accept by faith, the forgiveness of our sin to claim Jesus as our Lord and savior. It's by faith. And yet as we live out our lives, because we're living every day, we're walking, we're talking, all that we do and all we say has an opportunity to either take that faith and to show it, or we live and we do those things based upon what we want and our own desires or upon what others and even the world tells us how to live. And so we come and God speaking to us. Do you believe that God still speaks today? You're getting there. All right. I believe that God speaks to us today through his word and through the spirit and through his people. And as he speaks to us and as he asks us to offer to him something, what do you have to offer? 
What does God speaking to you individually, what is he asking you to do? It isn't the deed, it's the faith. It's the walking and believing and trusting him that he desires. He wants you in relationship with him, but he wants you doing that thing that he's calling you to. So as you think about offering to God, maybe you need to offer your family. Maybe you need to say, God, here's my family. I'm going to offer them to you because I trust that you know what's best for them. So help me to lead them and to guide them by faith to do that. But I'm going to give them to you because I'm offering them as a sacrifice to you. I'm not going to hold on to them. They're not mine. They're yours. Maybe there's a person in your life that you need to offer unto the Lord. Or maybe God is calling you to go and to reach out to them, to talk to them, to minister to them in some way. You say, I, I, I don't know what to say, or I don't know what to do. That's where faith comes and is evolved. As we listen and as we dig into the word of God, it isn't just a passive, oh, I'm going to read it. I'm going to listen. Okay, God tells me that he loves me. This is great. How does it apply? How do we live that out every day? Is God speaking to us? And as we listen to the still small voice of our great God and the spirit of God reveals to us what he is desiring, we need to walk obediently. And so who's that person that he's put in your life that he wants you to minister to? Or what about the job that you have? How is God desiring to use that job so that you can show your faith? Well, what about a friendship? What about your plans? Just as a, a carpenter builds plans for a house, and as he lays it all out in all of those details, we often can do that in our own lives. I have this plan, and I feel like this is what I want. The best part about walking with God, and also the hardest part about walking with God, is he changes plans. Anybody ever experienced that before? Say amen. You've experienced that. You know what that's like. You're like, wait, I thought you want this for me, God. Wait, now you changed it. I don't understand. What's, what are you doing? The blueprints looks different. He's like, hey, trust me. Keep walking with me. Keep offering yourself to me. I have a great plan for you. Jeremiah has something to say about that. Amen. What about your bills? You say, man, I, I, Lord, I don't have anything to offer to you. I don't even know what to do with these. God's got it. And as we obey and walk with him, it isn't meaning that we will, we will have the, the riches of this earth or that all of our struggles and all of our troubles are going to be taken away. But as we walk by faith, offering every part of who we are and we give him our faith and trust, we can confidently say, Lord, I can't see what you're doing, but I'm going to trust that you have a perfect plan for this. I can't get along with this coworker, and I have no idea what your plan is. I got this bill in the mail, and I have no idea how I'm going to pay for this. By faith, we continue to trust God. Will God ever let us down? No. Will God always work according to our way and what we can see? No. So don't shake your fist at God. Get on your knees. Say, God, I can't, I can't see it, but help me to keep trusting. What about your health? 
What about your service? What about your gifts that God's given you? What about your time? Ultimately, it's about every aspect of our life. It really is condensed into this. We're called to offer our life as a living sacrifice, which somehow, someway can be holy and acceptable to God for his purposes and his plans. How is that possible? It's by faith. It's by faith. We walk each day and each hour and each minute. And sometimes we're just trying to make it through that second because we can't see it. And yet if we walk by faith, trusting in our great God, he will show us. He will speak to us. He will give us the courage we need. He will give us the peace we need. He will give us the wisdom we need. All we have to do is be available to ask him and by faith, trust him. Easy to say, right? The challenge is how do we take this character of faith, Abel, who pleased God, whose blood cried out to God, saying, here is a righteous who has died, one of his own creatures, by the hand of another man, who was evil, who wanted his own way. Today, the blood of Christ cries to us, offers us forgiveness, and it offers us relationship, so that we can live by faith, knowing that this world isn't the end. So pull up your bootstraps, put on the armor of God, get into the word and study it, spend time praying and listening, allow the spirit of God to speak to you. And as he speaks, listen and walk obediently by faith. Guys, I'm convinced as I was preparing this, I, I truly believe that God is working in our midst and he's calling some of you to get out of your comfort zone and to obey him by faith. What that looks like, I don't know. Because I don't know every person and where you're at and where God may be challenging you in your faith. But I know it's real. I know our God is real. And I know that we can best please him when we walk by faith. Will you pray with me? As you bow your head and you close your eyes, I want to encourage you. Maybe you've struggled to walk by faith here. Maybe your hesed, your loyalty, your faithfulness, and your relationship with God has wavered. Maybe you need to confess that. Repent from your pride, your own way, your arrogance of like Cain doing what he wanted to do, devising his own plans. Maybe even you've had to deal with some consequences just like Cain has. And those acts of disobedience, he became so fearful Lord, you don't desire for us to live by fear.
repent and turn to him. Lord, as we seek to walk by faith this day and this week ahead, I pray that you would bring to our mind this character of faith in Abel. I don't know that he knew it was going to cost his life when he obeyed you and his sacrifice. But you accepted his sacrifice because of his faith. Lord, we don't know what lies ahead. But you've called us to live by faith today. We have faith that the blood of Jesus is sufficient enough to set us free from all the bondage that sin gives us. We've been set free. We have now the capacity to love you and to follow you and obey you. We've been called your children because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as we looked at a few weeks ago, Lord, it's because of the power, the power of the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. That same power is in us because of your spirit that dwells in us today. As we talked about last week, may we have the courage to walk by faith. Lord, we need your help. And I'm thankful for your steadfastness, your hesed in our lives. Lord, that you never fail us. You, you, don't, you don't just abandon us. Even when we fail and make mistakes, you are constant. You are always right. And you are a perfect and loving God who desires for us to walk with you and to come to you. So Lord, as we live this week, may we honor you through our faith. And what we do, may it come from our very heart, that heart of faith, walking obediently to what you've called us to do, what you called us to be, help us to do this. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? And it's an old hymn that came to my mind as I was uh, preparing this this week. And I want to just read you the words um, before we dismiss. It says, the blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It soothes my doubts and calms my fears. It dries away all my tears. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. Isn't that awesome? As we leave here today, 
we get to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and it never loses its power. That's our God. Walk, leave here today, trusting him and walking obediently with what he has for you this day and the days ahead. Amen? God bless you. Have a great day.